Hey everyone, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia. Every weekend we drop deep dive interviews with leading guitarists and guitar figures. And midweek we have our iconic albums series, which you have tuned in for. Thank you so much for joining me. Now today, Rob, Gabor and I check out No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom album from the 90s. Such a great record featuring the wonderful guitar playing of Mr. Tom Dumont. Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. All right, everyone, welcome to Iconic Albums, episode 11. I'm joined by my friends Gabor Jessica. Hey, hello. And Rob Rhodes. Hello, everyone. Great to have you guys here for another iconic record. We're up to number 11. Rob, it's up to you this week. Kick us off. All right. This week, I have chosen No Doubt's third studio record, Tragic Kingdom. Now, I was driving home from maybe one of the last gigs that I did a couple of weekends ago, and I decided to put this on, and I'd forgotten how great it was. Um, yeah, and yeah. I really wanted, and it seems a theme uh, in the next couple of episodes. But I really wanted um, the girls to represent um, on this show a little bit. So yeah. uh, no doubt was a was a really uh, no brainer for me. Yeah. Um, so it was released on October 10, 1995, and it was recorded in eleven different studios. Between wow. March 93 and October 95. So it took two years wow. to record, oh, yeah. basically. Um, there were seven singles released off this record between 95 and 98. So this wow. album was three years in wow. you know, charting. Uh, I mean, it was huge. Yeah. It was a huge album. And in that time, it sold, well, up till now, it sold more than 16 million copies. But interesting enough, when I went back just in the United States from 93, 94, 95, it never featured in any of the top selling albums. So it just showed how much of a slow build it was, first of all, and then how it just continued to sell um, and move. The tour lasted for this album, lasted two and a half years. Um, wow. So you can see where the touring led to TV appearances, album sales, and just they did it old school, you know, not something you can do these days. Um, They were signed by Interscope Records, which again, um, Jimmy Iovine, 1991, and they released their debut album in 92. So uh, they they weren't overnight successes, but it did seem at the time that they just sort of jumped out of nowhere and Mm. Gwen was this fresh face. Uh, but they'd been together um, for three albums already. 
Uh, this album was produced by Matt Wilder, which some might know. I'm going to do a little fun fact early on. He was the singer-songwriter of the 80s hit Break My Stride. Wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, his, that was his claim to fame. Um, it took over a year for this album to hit number one. Um, oh, wow. So released, as I said, October 95, but it took until December 96 to reach number one on the Billboard charts. Um, and then once it hit number one, it stayed there for nine weeks straight. Um, wow. And you think about that year, I looked at the year, the albums that were around at that time, 95, it was, you know, Mariah Carey's and all, like the biggest pop stars of the time. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the summation of that. Um, what when you had a listen, Gabor? What did what what came to mind about 1995? 1995. Oh wow, um, that was a long time ago. <laughs> well, uh, I, I hadn't listened to that album, I reckon, in a good 20 years or so. Um, and I listened to it. Um, I have a CD version of it somewhere. Um, I haven't been able to find it, but I do have it on CD. What a great album! Like just pretty much all the songs, and I think I never quite realized at the time how good the production is yeah it's just fantastic production and the amount of sounds that are on that Mm. um and i think to me 95 especially or not 95 but sort of late 90s gwen stefani really i think she sort of opened the door for this whole kind of 50s pin-up girl revival thing that is that's become quite big and it's sort of you know the whole scar 50s look you Mm. know there's so many other bands that followed, but she really, she kind of opened a door in that and sort of started and, and having a, and what a front person, front yeah. woman, front person, yeah. or whatever Amazing. you want to call her. Um, just awesome. So I, 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 um, killer album. I think it's killer. And, and for the time, um, if you think, like you're saying, what's in the charts, that just the different the variety of sounds are on this mm-hmm. and the variety of styles that are on this i think that's quite at the time i didn't realize it as much as i do now in sort of hindsight but i think very ahead of its time absolutely how about you opinion. matt 95 where were, where were you and what did this album yeah. do for you at the time Man, this album was a big deal for me, actually. Um, at the time, 95, sort of mid-20s. So I'm writing and playing a lot. I was in some bands. Um, so I was writing heaps of Scar stuff, influenced by okay, awesome. by these guys. And I mean, the Scar of the 90s was huge. You had the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Real Big no. Fish, Five Iron Frenzy. Um, I think in Australia, the Porkers, who'd been going for a long oh, time, yeah. they... <laughs> They got a bit of extra coverage. Uh, <laughs> the, the wheel finally turned for them. I think they'd been doing this stuff for ages. But yeah, it was a big, yeah, it was a, a big, big deal. I saw, I saw them. Um, I'm not sure if they toured Australia off this album, but when, when the next album came out, I think Rocksteady, they toured on is, that. Is that uh, the Purple Hair Phase? Was it the? Uh, not yet. I think that was, or was a solo the career. Purple hair phase? Okay. Um, yeah, because I saw them at the Horden in 2000. So was that on that tour or that was the next record? Yeah, that's when I saw them. Yeah, so that must have been. That was two records after that, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Okay, yeah. okay. We might have been there on the same night, Rob. More, more than likely. I think they only had one show. Yeah. Yeah, great. Killer show, man. Oh, 
Yeah, well, so, yeah. I, I was only disappointed by the mix. I'm not going to sit and whine about that. It's going to become a, <laughs> it's going to become my thing complaining about mixes. Especially the mix. at the new Horden Pavilion. Don't get oh, the old Horden used to sound awesome, but uh, yeah, I've seen a bunch of shows at the new one, and it, they none of them really cut the mustard. I love that show though. I, I can't oh, remember the mix. Yeah. I just wanted more more of Gwen's vocals, but anyway, that's just me. There was probably heaps of Tom DeMont's guitar, so I was probably okay. Yeah, and it's, it is, does depend where you are in that room. Yes. Um, where it sounds good, but yeah. yeah. And I was in the mosh pit. I, I, was, I was sort of going off. It was probably my last hurrah in the mosh pit. <laughs> so, yeah, the, you, you were, um, were you gigging at that time and <clears throat> playing any of the songs live? Um, I Just a Girl ended up being a cover band staple. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that riff's harder to play than it looks, by the way. <laughs> to do it cleanly, the little keyboard riff, the little da 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 yeah, to actually play it properly in there is quite quite difficult, actually. Yeah, yeah. And trying to step on a flanger as you're doing it, <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool. The guitar and the synth together sounds great on yeah. that. So. Yeah, it sounds really good together. So, so yeah, that was that that was the tune I guess I was bumping into. But yeah, I was you know doing originals bands at the time with a, a girl singer. Um, um, actually, gossing Jane Denham, who's a really big deal in country rock music in Australia. Um, okay, she's a rocker from way back. So, so that the band we were kind of putting together at the time was very much inspired by this stuff. And yeah, I love I love the whole guitar approach, everything there. Yeah. yeah, it sounded fresh but familiar. You know, because yeah. if you're into the specials or madness, you're obviously madness. Yeah, yeah. in the in the popular music scene through the 80s you know you would have heard all that sort of stuff and um yeah there was but you you immediately was drawn to it because it sounded familiar but there was something very original about how they did it yeah. and how they incorporated um their own like california yeah, thing yeah. into the whole thing um yeah. so yeah they were for, they grew up in anaheim in california uh-huh. and the name of the band, no doubt, came from a former member of the band's favorite saying was just no doubt. He just okay. used to say no doubt, no doubt to everything. So they decided to call the band that. And then... 9-9? Isn't, so, nine, nine? Isn't that... Uh, uh, Brooklyn 9-9? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. And then Tragic Kingdom, the name came from um, one of their former teachers that was the nickname for disneyland which is where they lived oh, disneyland's okay. in uh, anaheim california mm-hmm. so they used to call it tragic kingdom um i think it was also when no doubt dropped and i could be wrong because it just could have just been my perspective of things but all of a sudden every band that i went and saw or i was a part of somehow dropped a reggae groove into the middle of a rock song. Right, right. And I feel like the proliferation of that was the popularity yeah. of No Doubt. And yeah. um, because even within their songs, they did that a bit. They would have a driving rocker oh, totally. and then go yeah. halftime and do that and reggae, do reggae thing. reggae thing, the ska reggae feel, yeah. yeah. Um, funny story that uh, Gwen's brother, Eric, was in the band at the time of recording. So he's the keyboardist. Yeah. Um. In at this time, and prior to this record, he'd done all of the songwriting. Um, which is maybe why the two records before this weren't hits. Uh, <laughs> so the producer and the record company were encouraging the other 
members of the band to start riding and he kind of got his nose out of joint and walked away before the record was finished. Uh, so very similar right. to um, Mark Knopfler's brother leaving Dire Straits right before <laughs> they became the biggest band in the world. Um, yeah, David Knopfler. David, that's right. Yeah. Um, and there seems to be a lot of stories like that. Um, if you look at the journey to get the record done though, like when you were saying all the timeline, I thought, oh man, no wonder Eric had had enough. Yeah, and it started because the producer and the record company executives, they remixed Just a Girl and released okay. it as a single uh, from what I was reading and then they really liked it. So they basically went back and remixed every other song the same way. Um, okay. And so that's why it sort of took a long time. And Just a Girl wasn't a hit on the first release. So it stalled on the charts when Don't Speak came out. Okay. Um, so it really never got a thing. So they actually did a re-release of Just a Girl after Don't Speak okay. went ridiculous. Oh, wow. And okay. um, made it a hit. Uh, and a second, well, it wasn't a hit the first time, but it made it a hit because they re decided to re-release it. Um, okay. Which has happened to a lot of songs in the past. Yeah. yeah. Um, favorite tracks, Matt? Um, I mean, Just a Girl is pop magic. It's it's great. But my absolute favorites, because they're a bit more scary, are Spiderwebs and Sunday Morning. Yeah. I, I love that. When you talk about that halftime, um, I love that stuff. The first time that really stuck out to me was, um, oh, what was it? Smash Mouth. They did a cover of Why Can't We Be Friends. And they did uh, it the with this. war song, yeah. Yeah, the war song. But they did it with this full scary halftime intro with the horns and everything. Um, and I just love that sound. So those two tunes um, totally stuck out. And. Yeah, I love the horns, but just then the, the big, the massive guitars. Um, yeah. What's the, the spiderwebs? Yeah, the harmonics in spiderwebs are cool. Yeah. So in yeah. The, in the verse, um, but also in the chorus, he's doing the power chords, but he's like kind of working his way down the string, getting yeah, all the yeah, notes. They're cool. They're very cool. Yeah, man. I I, I love Tom Demont because he, he was a bit dorky as well. I thought, and I thought. I can relate to him more. And as, whereas the bass player, Tony Canal, was super cool. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't understand. But the, the dorkier guitar player, I don't know if he was dorky at all. But um, He just seemed like that typical California skater guy, you know? Yeah. Like, but a little bit too um, tall because he, he, yeah, he came off really quite tall. tall next to the other two. Yeah, um, definitely down the front. Yeah. But yeah, I remember a I re Guitar World interview with him and he said there's a couple of you know, he tipped his hat a couple of times to Eddie on that record because he uh -huh. was in metal bands prior to joining. Oh, really? No Doubt. Wow. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a tip that spider webs with the pinched harmonics and then there's a tapping solo yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. later on in the, on the so, record. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always love that sort of red-orangey Hamer, like destroyer kind of thing. That he, I think it's in, in – is it in Sunday Morning? I think it's in Sunday – no, um – don't speak in don't speak he's playing it at the start i think i always i remember always wanting going oh i want one of those <laughs> oh he was just like hamer city man hamer city yeah and yeah. that gig rob I, do you remember like he had all of them out man yeah yeah he was no nah, that he definitely was into the hamers by that point um yeah and we'll get on to we'll get on to that stuff yeah, later yeah. on the, what he was yeah. using at this time 
But so while we're on that, Kabor, what, what were your standout tracks? There's so many. Um, I wrote down quite a lot of them, actually. Um, Spiderwebs again, um, the, the halftime reg- uh, scar thing, uh, just a girl. Uh, different people. There was another one that very, um, very madness reminiscent. Yeah, yeah. And I wrote down. I love. There's great. Uh, um, there's this one bit where the guitar is hard pan to the right and the bass is hard pan to the left. Yeah. And it just it's a really cool like the way it works out. And there's this little horn parts in that that I absolutely loved. Um, uh, hey you with the sitar thing in it. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's just just because it's so and and there's this sort of then it goes into this kind of baroque harpsichord thing in the middle. Actually, that's one of the things I wrote down right at the start. Um, they are great at writing bridges. All their bridges are excellent. I know <laughs> yeah, it's one right. of the hardest things to do too, isn't it? <laughs> Which is always hard, yeah. but I found in almost every song when you go into the bridge, I kind of go, "Oh, that's cool." Um, uh, um, hang on, I'll, uh, uh, what's another one I wrote down? Oh, "Tragic Kingdom," the very last song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a great that's like almost like a, a concept album kind of tune oh um, man the and riffs. it sort of sneaks into six eight six eight at the end as well which is really cool um yeah. and then that little star wars outro yeah yes. i made a note of that too so who, <laughs> who listened to the end so that yeah, was going to be a test right to the end <laughs> so the, they're the ones i wrote down um the intro to you can do it i wrote down very 70s cop show disco kind of vibe it's that sort of with the wah guitar and stuff i wrote, I wrote down shaft approved wah yeah. Sorry. I wrote down shaft approved wah. Shaft approved. Yeah, it, it so, would yeah. definitely be shaft approved. Shaft. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tons. Uh, and the climb. That's another one uh, with that mellotron. Very sort of strawberry fields esque. Mm. Um, but even the guitar has like a Leslie kind of sound. Yeah, that on intro it. with the slow Leslie, where you can hear that and dirt from the. It's yeah. From it. It's very great. kind of Beatle esque, strawberry fields esque. Yeah. Hey, we've um, we've mentioned mellotrons a few times. Can, can I just quiz you guys? When you play a Mellotron, do you have to play... Bah, oh, bah, oh, bah. Is that, yes. Is that yeah. the only way they work? <laughs> it records a tape, right, loop of the of what you're doing. Is that what the Mellotron does? So Mellotron, Mellotron is... It, it's like a keyboard, and each key has uh, basically a, a, like a tape reel attached to it. Yeah. And it has a, it's a certain length. I don't know how long it is, but it basically is a certain length of a... Sa- it's like a sampler. It's a sampled part of a note of whatever it is at that certain length. And you, it, you can only play for certain length, so oh. you can't hold notes for long. So I guess that's why it's always that. Yeah. yeah. It's short notes because otherwise you get to the end and then it actually rewinds. And then... Oh. <laughs> yeah. The Don't Speak, the electric guitar part in Don't Speak has got that kind of approach as well. That tinkle, tinkle. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. And, and I think there's also... Um, Something you don't hear very often uh, in a song ended ended on this. Is that an electric twelve string guitar? Which is something you don't hear often in in um, kind of punky sky kind of song. Like, yeah, because it doesn't up, seem does... to be space in the instrumentation for something for that to shine through. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's 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 a it's a cool the whole album. Uh, I, I was really surprised how how much I liked it listening to it all again and and. I've just forgotten about half of it because it, it it was for a while. I listened to it a lot, and it was a, it was a big album. And um, we played a few songs. Uh, this is probably more in the late '90s, early 2000s. We played a few songs of that album mm-hmm. um, with in bands and duos and stuff like that. But um, yeah, killer killer album. Yeah, for me, Spiderwebs 
because it was the first time I'd heard and seen No Doubt. And uh, I just went, okay. this is a ridiculously good, like, what the hell's going on? And Gwen was so different to anything else at the time. Yeah. You know, she had the Hindi kind of thing on her forehead, um, the third eye thing going on. And like she was wearing knitted, like, tennis singlets and... But weird, like it was so cool, but it had this, yeah. it was definitely and that sneakers, sneakers, yeah, that California oversized pant vibe with a yeah. tiny little top, but she was, she was a front woman. Like she moved oh, like no one's rocked. business. Yeah. She, she was yeah. jumping around. She had a signature moves. It was like nothing, no other front person at the time was doing. Um, and full energy, like as in 110% all the, all the way through. Yeah. I like the pinched harmonic thing. In Spiderwebs as well, because it was yeah. a gateway, you know, uh-huh. into that different style of music from what I'd been listening to in the mid nineties, yeah, right. which was still like the Van Halens and Extremes and Bon Jovi. So, the pinched harmonic thing was a gateway. I particularly love in Spiderwebs the slide guitar that slides oh, yeah. up into the chorus. So it's just one of those moments you want to just replay over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I watched them do that on Letterman, um, yeah. which was a great iconic performance. Yeah, that was fantastic. The yeah. funny jumps on Letterman's desk, and the band's just going off. Um, but he's he's using a slide for that. I think live. I think he used his mic stand. Okay, now that's yeah. I can, I'll, well, that's I would a cool thing that. to do. I do that all yeah. the time. Just, I guess if you're on national TV to millions of people, you want to just try and be a little accurate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but on the on the gig. More, anyway, it's, it's nah. sorry, man. I jumped in on that slide thing, but it's yeah, all it's about cool. the show, baby. Um, the thing that stands out is Spiderwebs as well. The sheer amount of groove changes, like in yeah. a pop song, you know, you go from it's the drums are slamming, and then all of a sudden it's a half time, and then it's a reggae groove, and you just like yeah. you wouldn't get that today. And no. um, it's just a what you were saying. They do bridges really well, and mm. all of those things get changed up. Sunday morning was the other standout for me, similar to Yugabor. The harmonies, ugh, every time I hear those, and that was one song that we used to perform all the time. I had a cover band in Sydney for 12 years called Singled Out, and it was named Singled Out because we were just overplaying the big hits, so we always played the second okay. single. So we're all nice. kind of over singles. So we always yeah. played Sunday morning instead of Just a Girl. Okay. Um, and I love the drum sound in Sunday morning as well. Um, you can you can just hear how much they were playing the hell out of everything. Like the drums, you can tell he was hitting it hard. Like yeah. There's no yeah. BDF or Easy Drummer 2 that can replicate <laughs> that kind of totally like human feel. And, and I mean, when you see when you see footage of him live, he, oh, he's oh, yeah. quite an energetic drummer. Yeah, Absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, I the standout I picked out in the climb that Leslie sound in the intro too, and the, yeah, and the Mellotron and the tapping solo in, solo in Tragic Kingdom. Um, I just remember that from that interview that he uh, that was his little tipping of the hat to Eddie. Um, That's a really synthy kind of guitar sound as well. Hey, I actually wrote really down bright. is that a tapping solo or is that a synth? Yeah, yeah. I actually wrote that. Yeah. Um, and and that you can do it is really the only song that I feel didn't fit on the record because mm-hmm. it was so different. It was like that. It was like right at the end, they maybe heard Jamiroquai and went, 
<laughs> let's, let's do, do one, something let's like do that because like it does have that seventies <laughs> disco thing going on, but it's mm. it's still the intro. I, it it the intro. I just love the intro. Um, it's a sort of the first the first. I don't know, thirty seconds, forty seconds of the song, and then it it dragged on a bit to me. That mm. song, that was like, yeah, maybe one of the songs that sort of um, wasn't quite the same. But yeah, the, in, the, the first thirty, forty seconds are just killer. That intro, yeah, and that just when you hear horns, man, it's just it's so good. Well, I think that Makes was one, one of the things I really like about this. It's the way the horns, the guitar, and the keys interact, and the bass too. It's very interactive. All the instruments, yeah, and I. I it's it's really well done, really really well done. Absolutely. End on this is it end on this? There's a tune with really cool unison riffs. Um, oh, it's Tragic Kingdom. I'm thinking of the guitar and bass just riffing out those big fat riffs together. Sounds massive. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we should take a break, Matt, and then we can come back and talk about gear. This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course. Put together by Joe Elliott, ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Cup. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. All right, welcome back. We are here talking iconic albums with Gabor and Rob, and the album we're talking about tonight is Tragic Kingdom by... No Doubt. No Doubt. Thanks, Rob. No Doubt. You seemed a little doubtful. I was a little doubtful. (laughs) I don't know why. All right, let's talk about gear Um, on this record and on the tours. So Tom has a website and he has a photo area where he's got some shots from the studio this time and the live oh, cool. tour. Nice. And it's really interesting to see the live, to see his pedal board, which was what, uh, about, let's say, 50 centimeters by about 40 centimeters. And in the middle of it, there was just a wah and another pedal, <laughs> which I think was a phase 90. And that was it. There was oh, nothing okay. else on the pedal board. So it was all this empty space and yeah. these two things um, in the foam. It was, uh, Hilarious. Um, but for the recording, he said uh, he didn't have a lot of money at the time and he didn't have the best gear. Um, so the label gave him a budget to rent like a whole bunch of gear for the sessions. Um, so he was using a rented 60s Gibson SG with P90s. And nice. that was his major guitar on all of the tracks. Oh, wow. Um, through a matchless Clubman 35. Oh, nice, nice. Um he also had a Fender Music Master 2, um, which he still has to this day. Um, and he also, I think maybe after the sessions, he picked up a 78 Ibanez Flying V, which was his main guitar. It was like a natural with the black guard. Uh, That's in a bunch of videos here. You can see that in a few videos. Yeah, and he gave it away. He gave it to a young guitar player named Mason Young. So... Oh. Um, but he was an adopted middle child, um, and he said his life changed when he heard Kiss's Destroyer. Wow. Um, and that was his, he heard that at his aunt's place, Aunt Ruth, and she gave him an old 12-string guitar. Um, and he remembers early on just learning Rush songs. So oh. he was just playing Rush stuff. 
and yeah, the metal bands and stuff that was. But he was into Rush, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, and progressive rock such as Kansas and Yes. So you can kind of hear a little bit in that of that, maybe from what we were talking about before the the song construction and the songwriting yeah. and the the for sophisticated bridges and all that sort of thing. There was that craft there that they had. Um, and we talked about it before, he's Hamers. So um, he really liked that 50s space age design, but it still had that 80s metal thing that he was into. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Explorer thing, he ended up with the Hamers. Um, so it was the Hamer Vector E or Vector Ed. That was the, the name of that model. So that was the Explorer. And then the Carina Explorer and Carina Flying V, which were the Hamer standards. And that was pretty much him for most of the time and he the phase ninety. Uh, yeah, wow. cool. But yeah, he's a big matchless guy there for a long time. So that's that bright vox, you know, chiminess that you can hear. Yeah, right. Uh, from all his guitar. And he, I think you guys might have a view on this of that guitar. It kinda had to be mixed that way when you've got horns and you've got that snare drum sound and the keyboards. Like, where was the guitar going to sit yeah, in the totally. mix? Yeah, totally. Much smaller space to sit in, mm. yeah. Oh, one thing about the tones and um, and, and fitting in, there's, I mean, there's a handful of really cool guitar solos on this record, but not heaps. And um, I think we are saying a little bit in the break that, you know, each era has got brilliant music and it's got some pretty bad music. Um, yeah. But the stuff that, that survives is the, is the good stuff. Um, I remember in the 90s, a lot of people say there was a, a vibe that, you know, guitar music's dead or rock is dead or what's happened to the guitar. And we, we hear this every decade yeah. anyway. Um, but I, I kind of got the idea that if the 80s gave us shredding on absolutely every tune, <laughs> yeah. the lamest pop song had some incredible <laughs> mind-blowing <laughs> shredding. I reckon the 90s, especially guys like Tom DeMont, brought such a good focus on really interesting parts and really interesting tones that worked yeah. within the context of the tune. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Which I think is, is well, I don't know, I don't want to say it's more valuable, but that's what I'm tempted to say. It's It seemed like a more sustainable idea in terms of producing great music. Yeah, well, it came much later, but James Valentine was very good in Maroon 5 post oh, the first yeah. record okay. of yep. how to incorporate guitars into what was predominantly electronic music yeah right how to find things that fit you know because that first maroon five album was very guitar driven you know very late album too actually that was a killer but then every subsequent record he's kind of disappeared and it's had to find his his place and that that sort of might have been influenced from how this album like i'm just throwing out there off the top Mm. of my head how you manage to fit a guitar into this type of music um, yeah. And then again, he had to do it after this record, as no doubt became more electronic. Yeah, and he had to find a space um, for that. You know, hella good, and all those types of songs that came later. Hey, baby, how do you fit? You know, guitars into those sorts of songs. Yep. And, yeah, yeah, true. Keep it relevant, and not just. Uh, I'm just putting guitar in for the sake of it because I'm a guitar player. Uh, I think, yeah, both those bands did that really well. Yeah. 
Right, so fun facts. Do you want to hear some fun facts? Give us some well, fun yes, facts. Apart from, we need a little, apart from breaking we need my stride. We a little stride. like a jingle. <laughs> we do. Like a jingle. Fun, fun facts. facts. <laughs> With Rob. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on that. <laughs> All right, so here's a really like weird one, but I thought, hey, because it, it, it has some relevance to us. Um, the first okay. record that Tony Canal bought with his own money was Men at Work's Business as Usual. Really? Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Okay. So that was pretty wow. cool. I thought that was like, yeah, that was super cool. And he later became a huge Prince fan, um, which I would have liked to have seen him, you know, when, because Prince had turned over so many bass players. I would love to have seen Tony yeah. maybe sit in with Prince at some stage because it seemed like they would have been a really good fit. Yeah. yeah. Um, He's awesome, man. He's oh. awesome on this record. Yeah. Yeah. Great bass. So um, on Tony, he was like a Yamaha user. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just move away from the fun facts for a second and go and pivot back. Pivot, there's a word for the 2020. <laughs> I'm up so on nice. it. Uh, Pivoting <laughs> back with Rob. <laughs> um, but he used the Yamaha BB1500, um, which is still the one he has. Um, okay. But yeah, he's always a Yamaha user. And he went on to Music Man's Five Strings. But that's uh, just a little bit for the bass players out there. Um. Yeah, so the other fun fact is Gwen Stefani is dyslexic. Oh, and okay. she didn't even know until she started to have kids. And I guess she had to help with homework and stuff. Oh, wow. But she has an arts degree. So I don't know. Or maybe you don't need to read to get an arts degree. That might explain a few things. I've got one and no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, the band. So, again, I didn't, I didn't get time to research this. So this is going to be like complete just freestyling. But the band appeared in cartoon form in a 2001 episode of King of the Hill. So I'm not sure if like a lot of bands appeared in um, The Simpsons and things like that, but it feels like it might have come a bit later than 2001. But I know they had, um, you know, the Stones appeared and the Who appeared in Simpsons episodes and stuff. But it was just, I was a big fan of King of the Hill and I couldn't remember it. So um, that's a cool little fun fact. And yeah. their first TV appearance was on Conan, Late Night with Conan okay. O'Brien. Oh, that was a good show. Uh, um, you guys want to add anything else to that you, we might have missed? I'm just, I'm just wondering, are these guys, are they still playing at all? I mean, obviously Gwen Stefani's solo career went bonkers. Yeah. Went massive. Um, I know they did some odd shows here and there in the midst of that, but are they still... I think they're pretty much on a permanent hiatus. I did get their last record, which I didn't mind. Um, They had the single Settle Down, which was actually quite an epic tune. Okay. Um, That was really good. Um, But, yeah, they haven't done anything since then. They toured um, on the back of that record. But, man, she's just huge. Doesn't she do the voice in America or something? And she's got a clothing line and perfumes and all that kind of stuff. So she's Mm. sort of moved away from music in a big way by the looks of things but you know when we come out of this COVID thing uh, I think we're going to see a lot of those bands come back out uh, because there's just going to be a hunger for this but it all needs to be over because we're seeing the touring thing fall over in America again now Yeah, with you know 170,000 cases a day tours being cancelled uh, left left and right, I think yeah. uh, Mammoth 
Wolfgang Van Halen, they just had to drop off the Guns N' Roses, their little side tour that they were doing because oh, okay. one of the crew got oh, got man. COVID and there's a whole bunch of bands that just had to cancel their tours because of people getting it. So they've sort of launched back into it in America, but it looks like it's all just starting to get shut down again. So okay. yeah. out of this, I think bands like No Doubt will probably see them again, um, even though she's probably done all right out of selling her stuff online and probably Maybe. doesn't need the money. Uh, yeah. I'd love to see him back out there for the again for the you know right reasons. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Such a great back catalog. Like what about favorite songs outside of this album? Does that just cuz I love It's My Life and Simple Simple Kind of Life that intro guitar. The Simple Kind of Life that's the only one I can think of actually at the those moment. Those open <laughs> chords, they're just like beautiful sounding lush chords. Um, I just remember there was that one album that was sort of a bit more electronic and it was the, the purple hair phase. Yeah, was that I Cosmic? Remem- what was that, Cosmic? Uh, I just oh, remember. Why can't I, I remember? Go. That's just... Well, we're all sitting in front of computers, so I'm just going to go... This is riveting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tap, 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 tap. <laughs> and- I'll edit this. It'll be super snappy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Return to Saturn. That was the oh, Return to Saturn. That's that right. Pink that's right. Hair. There were some great songs on that. I remember that. That was another album I've got somewhere, and that's a, another one I listened to a lot. Um, and that took five years to come out after this because obviously they were on tour, you know, yeah, that okay. whole yeah, time. Yeah. And then Rocksteady came out a year after that, and that, you know, took them to the next level as far as pop. They were already pretty big, but with Hey Baby and Hella Good. Yeah. And all her crossover into the hip hop stuff really shot them into a a whole nother a whole nother class really as far as things came. But um Push and Shove was that record that they came out with in uh twenty twelve. Uh but yeah, okay. I've got I've got that Rocksteady Live DVD and it's crazy good. Yeah. Uh, man, they were a force live. Mm. Hundred percent force. Yeah. Oh, your ex-girlfriend, that's the other one, Simple Kind of Live. Ex-girlfriend, that bass line in that song. Oh, that's Great songs, yeah. 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 That's, I'd that's, forgotten about yeah. that record, yeah. Mm. That was a killer tune, yeah. Well, I reckon we've probably kind of covered this record. I reckon we have. I reckon it's a great record. Rob, thanks for bringing Tragic Kingdom. Yeah. My pleasure. Love you, Gwen. Thanks, Rob. Shout out to Gwen. Yeah, man. Come back. And Tom, Gwen. we want you back. Hey, um, back for good. Thank guys, thanks so much. Tragic Kingdom, no doubt. Great record. Thanks for joining us. Gabor, where can people find out more about the wares you are peddling? <laughs> well, I'm I'm usually peddling uh, around on YouTube. Um, so if you want to find me, uh, I have this little YouTube channel called the Super Fun Awesome Happy Time Pedal Show. All one word, no no gaps. We don't do gaps. Um, and yeah, we review guitars and amps and pedals and just general um fun internet gear related stuff so uh yeah just look for super fun awesome happy time pedal show all one word cool man and rob where can people find your stuff well my main gig is living in the 70s so just uh facebook living in the 70s live and you'll find well we're grounded at the moment but hopefully by the time this episode hits we're back out gigging yeah yeah absolutely Cool. Okay, thanks, fellas. We'll catch you next week for another iconic album. Thanks, gents. See ya. Bye.
All right, thanks for joining us for another Guitar Speak podcast, Iconic Albums. I've really enjoyed putting these conversations together with Rob and Gabor, and it's been a really cool addition to our podcast show, which uh, every week has deep dive one-on-one interviews as well. That's been our bread and butter for the last five years, and that will be continuing as well. Thanks to Fretboard Biology for sponsoring today's episode. Check out the links in the show notes. All right, my name is Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. And in the words of Michael Schenker, German guitarist from UFO, The Scorpions and MSG. Keep rocking, keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.